in on verses 18 through 21, and then next week we're going to be looking at verses uh, 22 into the, the next chapter. And I just want to pause for a moment because, as I said, uh, this is really the most controversial part of Paul's letter. Pretty much up to this point, uh, the most controversial parts have been with our doubts, with our unbelief, with our skepticism, specifically as Paul is unpacking and clarifying what the gospel of Jesus Christ really is. And, and today we're getting into ethics, which bothers us. Like just looking at, uh, let me just go straight to it in verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands. And this is why I just want to pause here because I'm very aware, and I'm sure you're very aware, that that verse right there, which is reflective of other things going on here, is, is really what some people have problems with. Perhaps you yourself have problems uh, with this idea, that the ideas that this verse has. And this is actually what philosophers would call defeater beliefs. And defeater beliefs are exactly what it sounds like. Defeater beliefs are beliefs that defeat belief. That's what defeater belief it is. And so they describe a personal belief that prevents you from giving Christianity a fair hearing. And so the defeater belief that's at work here as we even just come to this text is this. It's the belief that Christianity cannot be trusted due to archaic and toxic gender roles. That is the defeater belief that I just want to speak to quite directly before we even get to this text because I want us to all listen to what God is saying here. But what this defeater belief presumes is that Scripture commends patriarchy, that Scripture commends the lifestyle where men unquestionably lead their families and wife unquestionably submit in obedience. to, And that's a false belief. And it's no secret that both our culture and, our, and the church in today and historically has harmed women. And the reality is, just to be clear, patriarchy is toxic. And there is legitimacy to the Me Too or, and Church Too movements. And we see Jesus saying just this in John 8, verses 1 through 11. And I don't want to read the whole story, but I do want to retell that story because it is a beautiful story that really shows us the, the heart of Jesus. But the story goes like this, that, and this is John 8, that Jesus goes to the temple to go and, and teach the crowds. And he gets there, and he pulls up a stool, and he begins to sit, and he sits there, and he begins to teach the crowd. And he's there at the temple, and in the background, this is an important visual, in the background, there's a Roman garrison, a fortress that's overlooking the temple grounds. And as Jesus is teaching, the Jewish religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, bring a woman who is caught in adultery and throws her before Jesus. Or, and, well, he, they make her stand before Jesus at the center of the crowd, and they say, hey, we have found this woman in adultery, and the, and the law of Moses tells us that we should stone such women. What do you say? And John, uh, the, who's, who's telling this story in his biography of Jesus, he, John tells us that this is a trap. It is something that is deliberately occurring to trap Jesus so that he either loses his followers or he's going to be killed by the Roman garrison behind him. Jesus, however, in, in response to this question, he didn't say anything. He got up from his chair. He kneeled, he kneeled down on the ground and started scribbling in the dirt. And uh, obviously, the scribes and Pharisees were bothered by that. So they're like, 
hello? What's your answer? And Jesus like stood up and said, hey, uh, he is without sin. Throw the first stone. And then Jesus just bent on over and just went back to writing the ground. And slowly, this is what text tells us, slowly, one by one, beginning with the oldest men who are there, leave until all that remains is just Jesus and the woman, the woman. And Jesus uh, stands up at that point and he says to her, has anyone condemned you? And she says, no, no one, my Lord. Go, Jesus replies, and sin no more. And so as you're reading this story, one of the very clear questions that really is really, really meant to be burning a hole in your chest is, where in the world is the man? That's the question that should be burning a, a hole in your hearts because it's clear that here are the religious leaders who, is, who are using this woman as a pawn to trap Jesus. They're not treating her with respect. They're not treating her with love. They're not treating her as a person. What does Jesus do? He recognizes that the patriarchal culture around them is using this woman as a pawn. And he, he comes to her and treats her with respect, with love, and as a person. And, he, and that is clearly emulated for us. And so what we see is that Jesus is, is clearly rebuking this patriarchal culture that many assume this is what Paul is saying here. And so I share all this because the way of Jesus means seeing a person and treating them with love and compassion regardless of gender. And that is exactly what Paul is doing. Paul is telling the church to treat one another with love, compassion. And he's not just talking about gender. He's also talking about age, which we'll see as well. And, and as Jesus is, is telling the church and, and telling us how to live our lives as a household, as a family, he, he is challenging the established household cultures of the Roman world and clarifying the way of Jesus as it relates to marriage. And so, in fact, uh, in, to the Ephesian Christians in, in uh, Ephesians 5.21, uh, what Paul says then is that husbands and wives submit to one another. And so... Here's my ask of you today, that let's give Paul's words, let's give God's word here a fair hearing. Let's listen together and see what he's saying. And honestly, what he is saying is going to bother us. It should bother every single one of us when we truly understand what he's telling us to do. But that, at the same time, is going to be redemptive for us because we're going to come to know Jesus more clearly and it's going to be healing to us. So let's give our attention to Colossians 3, verses 15 through uh, chapter 4 through verse 1. And you can follow along in the worship guides or you can follow along on the wall beside me. So here's God's word. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of 
eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. Men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, let's pray together one more time. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we ask that you be with us now, that we would hear your word, that we would hear, hear you but that you would meet us as we are listening to you, that you would tell us your word. Father, help us to see you today and, and that help us to see you, that we know how to live before you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. African, one African th- uh, theologian, Bediaco, is his last name, but he, he wrote this about his conversion as he came to become a Christian. This is what he, he writes. In becoming a Christian, I discovered that I was becoming African again. I was recover, recovering my sense of the spirituality of life. I was recovering my sense of the nearness of a living God, and I was recovering my African sense of the wholeness of life. In becoming Christian, I am becoming more African than I think I was. I'm being who I am. Now, now what he is describing for himself is this one of the central claims of the Christian faith. One of the central claims of the Christian faith is this, is that Jesus makes us fully human, that Jesus makes us whom God created us to be. And this is countercultural to our world. Our world tells us that you can become yourself. You can discover yourself on your own through experiences. That you don't need other people to really be whom you are. You don't need others. You can truly discover yourself on your own. And our culture, in other words, just says that you don't need other people to know yourself. And so as we come to our story, as we come to our text today, what we want to point out, what we want to see is that Jesus makes us fully human. And if you want to practice resurrection, which is what Paul has been saying in Colossians 3, if you want to practice resurrection, you cannot do it on your own. In fact, if you want to practice resurrection, if you want to see uh, the Jesus life cultivated inside of you, it must be cultivated at home. It must begin with your family. It must begin within your marriage. And so what we want to look at today is, is really God's design for family, for God's design for marriages. And this is the claim. This is the central contention that I want to put before you, is that marriage, reimagined by, by Jesus, is far, 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 far better than what anything that's offered by our culture. And it's for one clear reason, that Jesus is, is that marriage is meant to show off Jesus' love for you. Marriage is meant to show Jesus' love for you. And when that happens, it's, it's beautiful. Now, in several of Paul's letters, he comes to a moment, and this is the moment that we're at, where he unpacks the ethical and social implications of following Jesus in terms of our home life, in terms of our family, and in terms of our work life, our civic life, and more. And Paul is doing that because in his day, and I mentioned these a few moments ago, there were established household codes 
that dictated what family life would look like, what they ought to look like, and so, so on. And so as Paul is speaking about husband and wife within the marriage, it's very clearly within the context of his day. And what, what Paul's doing is that he actually uplifts, he empowers, he restores women to their creational status, and he's calling upon men to return to their creational status. And so that's actually one of what we first want to look at. We first want to consider God's creational intentions for marriage. That's what we first want to look at. God's creational intentions for marriage. And to put it a different way, what are God's intentions for marriage? What were God's creational intentions for marriage? And in the very beginning of Scripture, within God's story, we see God creating humanity to be as image bearers, which means that humanity, men and women, adults and children, we image God, we reflect God, we magnify Him, we show Him off to other people. And when God created Adam, that's His creational intention, to be an image bearer of God. When God created Eve, he, that is her creational intention, but they are both complementary. They work together to image God most clearly. And when you look at, let's, first I want to look at Eve. And when, if, when God created Eve, he just, God describes her. He tells us that Eve is a helper to Adam. And we'll return to this in a moment, but I want to point something, something out here is that when you look at the entire Old Testament, the person who is called the helper over and over and over again is not Eve. It's not even Adam. It's actually God. God is the helper of his people. And that is something that needs to be in the background of our minds when we read that verse. And when God creates Adam... When God creates, actually back up, when God creates Eve, Adam actually has a role. It's a painful role. God puts him to sleep, and God goes and does surgery. Where Adam, just even for Eve to exist, there is a painful cost at, for Adam as God essentially removes, surgically removes a bone. And put it this way, Adam has to give himself for Eve to, to live. There is a cost to Adam for Eve to live. And together, as a husband and wife, Adam and Eve, they are meant to beautifully show off, to image God to all of creation. They're meant to show off his love, his kindness, his rule. That is the purpose. That is our purpose of, as humanity, where we are God's image bearers. And so as we go about the, the business of, of working of and having a family and having relationships, the purpose, our fundamental purpose in all those things is to make God known in those things through everything that we do, what we say and what we do. And so when it comes to marriage, that is also, and very clearly, that is God's very specific intention to show off God's to show off God to the world. That is God's fundamental intention within marriage. But how that happens is when husbands embrace their role, when wives embrace their role as they are a team together. 
that God has called and made to make God known and to make something of this world. So what I just want to be very clear. God has entrusted both men and women, husbands and wives, with power, with dominion, with authority. This is a task that God gives to every man, woman, and child. This is a family's task, in other words. And so the purpose of our marriage is to make God's kingdom visible. The purpose of our family life, of our home life, is to make God's kingdom visible in our homes, in our marriage, and in our neighborhoods. This is something that we're called to do together. That is God's creational intentions, intention for marriage. But the reality, the sad reality, the tragic reality, is that is not the case. That is not the case. Our marriages, our family life do not display God's kingdom because we want our own mini kingdoms on our own terms, centered around ourselves. If you, like, if you know yourself, if, you, if we're really honest with one another, we know that our lives are defined by self-interest. We know that our lives are, self, are defined by self-importance and fear, where we look at one another, even the ones that we trust the most, we look at them and actually fear them, and distrust them because something else has replaced God's design for marriage in our family life, and it's sin. We replace, we sinfully replace the purpose of our, of our family life and marriage. Instead of making God known, we would just want to make me, myself, and I known. And, and this has very catastrophic consequences, it impacts all our relationships, and like even in the, the, the most subtle ways. Here, here's a really subtle way. Um, Jennifer and I really enjoy water sports, and so a, a few years ago, we're, we go up to Marsh Creek, uh, and we are, well, and we decide, hey, let's uh, let's go and out on the lake. And so instead of going for the canoe, instead of going for the single kayak, we decide to go together on a double kayak. You know, it's the one where you both sit in the same thing. You both have the, 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 the paddles and everything. Actually, we didn't have those type of paddles. We had, they gave us canoe paddles for some unknown reason. And yes. And so, but the, the, in order, like when it comes to any type of boat, if it comes to canoes, you have to work together. When it comes to kayaking, especially double kayaks, you have to work together. And I think you know where the story is going. If you want to go straight, you must work together. If you want to go right, well, you have to work together. If you want to go left, you have to work together. But on this day, we cannot go straight. We would only go in circles, even when we tried. Then when we tried to go in circles, we went straight. It's crazy. And in that moment, I blamed everything and anything. I blamed the current. I blamed the wind. I blamed my paddle. I blamed Jennifer's paddle. I blamed Jennifer. Like, if you would only listen to me. In the hero of the story, for everything to be made right, who's the one person that you have? And that, in, according to my functional theology in the moment, that moment I just said, if you listen to me, I am the one who will make things right. Just listen to me. And that's a picture of our world without Christ. We are never working together. We are actually always working against each other. And the reality is, like, if, there's, if, if Jennifer and I don't have conflict, it's always going to be about canoeing and paddling and, or even peace.